Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. I'm going to start with something that is fairly obvious. I love preaching and sermons, and I think you do too. I've hosted a sermon-related podcast for nearly three years, and you are currently taking the time to listen to a podcast for preachers, teachers, and communicators. And so let's go ahead and say it. We all love preaching and sermons. But just because we love something doesn't mean it's easy, and it doesn't mean that every step along the way is something in which we have a ton of confidence. Some of the things that we love can often give us anxiety in certain points along the way because we all have our strengths and our weaknesses, the things we prefer to do and the things we wish weren't a part of it. A while back on the Art of the Sermon Twitter feed, I ran a poll asking, do you prefer sermon writing and preparation or do you prefer delivery? And delivery won hands down. It wasn't 100 to 0, but it was certainly heavily weighted toward delivery. And that's certainly how I feel. I love the preaching experience. I love interacting with the congregation and feeling this exchange of energy. I love feeling like I'm being used by God, that I'm a vessel for a message that God has for our community. I love the expenditure of physical and spiritual, mental and emotional energy. Sometimes you get that buzz after like a long run or a really intense workout when you're done. You just feel really tired, but it's a good tired because you feel like you've done something meaningful. You've been a part of something bigger than yourself. But then I come in on Monday morning and I get the feeling that I heard Nadia Boltz Weber share about at a preaching conference a couple years ago. She said, I finished preaching and I feel really great. And then when I sit down in my office or at the coffee shop to start the next sermon, I read the scripture and I think, well, I've had a good run, but I guess it's over. (laughs) You know, you get that feeling like, okay, I've done this before. I know that I can do it again. But sometimes you're reading the passage and you just don't have any ideas, or perhaps you don't even have a passage picked out. How many of you have sat down on a Monday morning or Tuesday morning or a Wednesday morning and still had that blank page with the cursor and you don't even know what you're preaching about because you've gotten behind in planning or things have gotten busy or you had a really long series planned or you've gone through a book and suddenly you're at the end of it and you realize that you have nothing beyond it. So I wanted to share a a couple of the things that I do that have helped to relieve some of the anxiety uh, as I go through the process of planning and writing sermons. And now, not all of these are things that I employ every time. And in fact, I would love to hear from you what parts of the sermon writing and planning process give you anxiety and how do you battle them. But here are seven things that I try to do uh, a mix of that helps relieve some of the anxiety I feel when it comes to sermon writing and planning. The first one is about as obvious as saying I love preaching, and that is to plan ahead. The further out I know the topics I'm going to be covering, the more my radar is up for those topics, the more I can sort of calibrate the lenses I use to look at the world in order to find things related to those topics. And I found that I don't even necessarily need to know what scriptures I'm preaching on or the names of series or the names of specific messages. If I just know the theme or I know what it is I would like to accomplish or I get a sense of where God is leading us, like for example, October is going to be stewardship month and maybe in November we talk about discipleship and then in December, obviously, it's going to be Advent leading towards Christmas. If all I know are those three topics, stewardship, discipleship, and Advent, then I can start to look for examples in the world or stories in the world or anecdotes, ideas that I can gather. And the more things I have in the hopper, the more things that I'm holding in my head, the more things that are rattling around in that Evernote file of ideas and images and clips and articles and things like that, the more things I have to work with and I'm not sitting down to a completely and totally blank page. And so obviously, step one, 
plan ahead. And now, of course, number one only works if you actually have time to plan ahead. What if you don't have time to plan ahead? What if it's a busy season of life? Or what if you've come to the end of your sermon planning and you've now got a whole bunch of blank Sundays coming up? It is no help to sit around paralyzed by anxiety. And I have done that. I'm sharing all of these things because they are part of my experience. And hopefully by my sharing them, you feel some solidarity as well. It's also possible that some of you are not long-range planners, at least when it comes to preaching. Now, I I wouldn't use that as an excuse to whip up things on Friday and Saturday nights, but if you're not a long-term planner, that's okay. Not all of the best preachers or not all of the leaders of some of the most successful and transformational churches out there are long-range planners. On the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, Craig Rochelle shared that he doesn't plan further out than one series ahead. Now, Craig pastors Life Church. He planted and pastors Life Church. It's the largest church in the United States of America, and he only plans one sermon series ahead. So he's preaching a series, and he's working on the next one, and beyond that, he has no specific plans. Now, we talked about this a little bit in point one. You might have some themes that you know you're going to preach about. So, for example, like we said, October may be stewardship, November decide discipleship and December Advent. He shared specifically in that interview with Kerry Newhoff that he knows January is a time when people's minds and hearts are open for messages about personal transformation and about change. So he knows that he wants to preach on something related to that topic, but he's not going to know what it is until he's closer to, because he likes to remain flexible to what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through him and in and through his community. What is he passionate about at the time? What is really jumping out to him in his personal reading? and devotion, what's going on in the life of his church. He said, I have no idea six months down the road what I'm going to be passionate about, so for me there's no point in planning that far ahead. Now, he stays far enough ahead so that each message is effective, each message is given the amount of time that he needs. This is probably something that he's gotten better at over time, but if you're not a long-range planner or you don't have the time to plan ahead, you're sitting in a moment where you need to come up with something, try not to stress about it. That's easier said than done, but that is is point number two. Tactic number three is to ensure that the time we're giving to sermon writing and planning is actually focused and effective. And part of this is a measure of self-awareness. What kind of person are you? Are you a morning person? Are you a night person? When do you do your best critical thinking? When do you do your best creative thinking? Those may be two different times of day, and if you're trying to do both at the same time, it might be good for one and not good for the other. Do you do your work best in silence and completely by yourself? Or is it better to be at a coffee shop or a restaurant or out at a park somewhere where you're surrounded by white noise and by people? Is your office setting a positive place to get work done? A UC Irvine study found that people in office settings tend to be interrupted every 11 minutes and it often takes us 25 minutes to get back on task. Even if you give yourself a two to three hour block of sermon writing and planning, if you're still being interrupted every 11 minutes by someone coming by your door or by an email or by Slack or a text message, you're never going to get any work done. Another interesting tactic that I picked up from Rob Bell is that when he's writing and planning his sermons, whenever he comes up with something that isn't going to require that the sort of flow state that's not going to require critical or creative thinking, he makes a note and puts it on a to-do list for later. So let's say you're writing a sermon and you think, oh, I would really love to have a map to illustrate uh, where this is happening in the Holy Land. Well, don't stop right then and go find a map. That's going to break your flow of creative thinking. Simply 
write on a little scratch piece of paper or on your to-do list, need to find a map. And then he says, when you're at the grocery store or sitting at a red light, or maybe you're at the mall with your spouse who's trying on clothes, while you're sitting there on the bench, instead of scrolling Twitter, look for the map then. Uh, Do those little three to five minute tasks when you have three to five minutes, not when you've got a three hour block. Make sure that we give our sermon writing and planning focused time and make sure that we're actually using it for the deep thinking focused activities we need to accomplish. Here in point number four, I'm going to get a little more open and honest about my process and my spiritual life, but no doubt this is something that you have experienced as well, and that is the times when sermon writing and planning are the hardest tend to be the times when my personal devotion time is struggling or non-existent. If I'm only reading the Bible in order to prepare sermons, if I'm only reading the Bible in order to prepare a Bible study, essentially when, when Bible study and prayer becomes my job and part of my profession and not part of my identity as a son or daughter in Christ or my identity uh, as being in relationship with the Savior of the universe, when I'm not reading the Bible to hear the gospel afresh and to hear what God wants to do inside of me, but I'm only reading the Bible in order to produce something, and sometimes, if I'm being totally honest, to produce something so that other people will like me or respect me, that is when sermon writing and planning becomes the hardest. And then certainly, for me, there's a journaling aspect with it, and it might not be full pages, it might not be three pages, I might not be pouring my heart out, but I like to jot down notes of what I read and what ideas that I've had. And just because I'm not uh, reading purposefully in that moment to get something for later doesn't mean it can't be used for later. My journals of my morning or afternoon Bible reading times, my journals of those ideas that kind of jump along the way, they can become like seeds that get planted and then blossom into something in the future. And so if you're like me, perhaps during seasons when you're sermon writing and planning is difficult, times when you feel empty, times when you feel like you're out of ideas, times when you're really racked with anxiety, take a look at your personal devotion, prayer, and journaling uh, practices and disciplines, and maybe it's time to rededicate yourself to those. Tactic number five is to capture the ideas that capture you. We all know this, but sometimes we need to explicitly remind ourselves of this. The phone that you're carrying around in your pocket or your purse or your bag has a camera, it has a video camera, it has an audio recorder, and of course, it can capture text through notes or many other apps. And particularly, if you pair it with an app like Evernote, you can upload all these things to the cloud that you can access later on a desktop or a laptop, and you can organize them, you can tag them. Use your phone like a brainstorming tool. Don't self-edit ahead of time. If you saw something that stopped you in your tracks, if you saw something that drew your eye, if you saw something that was funny, something that was sad, something that created some sort of emotion inside of you, go ahead and capture it now. You can figure it out later. You can sort it out later. You could even delete it later if you find it to be completely useless in the future. The tragedy you want to avoid is you come across a sign outside of a coffee shop and it makes you laugh, and six months or a year from now, it's the perfect illustration for a sermon, but you don't have it because you didn't take the picture. Go ahead and capture the ideas that capture you now because you never know when you'll need them. And of course, these folders can be sources of inspiration in the future. If all of your other avenues are running dry, flip through those things that made you laugh. Flip through those things that seemed interesting or those things that were beautiful. You never know what direction they might send you in in the future. Another source for inspiration is to listen to your community. 
sometimes we feel this loneliness when we're writing and planning sermons. Like, God, give me an idea. The weight of speaking something profound is squarely on my shoulders, and I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm experiencing this anxiety. When perhaps some of the best sources of inspiration, perhaps the things that God wants you to say to your community are going to come from the community themselves. So make sure that you're not just holding yourself up in your office, reading your books and flipping through your folder of pictures and images, but that you're staying in contact with your community, both people inside of your church and people outside of your church. Have conversations in real life. Uh, Eavesdrop. Go to a coffee shop or a restaurant and listen to what the tables around you are saying. Maybe they're sharing some that they're struggling with or something that they're going through or something that's inspiring them and it gives you an idea and of course it came from real people in your real community. You can also use online tools. Uh, Obviously social media is a great way to look for ideas. Some uh, platforms allow you to search for posts based on a location. So look for posts that were made by people in your area. You can also run surveys. Uh, You can create forms through Google Forms or SurveyMonkey or some other service like this where you can ask people specific questions or you can ask them to share in an anonymous way what it is they're thinking about, what it is they're struggling with, what questions they have. You don't have to do this completely on your own. You can listen to your community. The last tip for relieving some of the anxiety around sermon writing and planning is to remember God's faithfulness. You are called to this work. I am called to this work. We are doing this work for a purpose. We have the same goals that God has. If we are open and responding to where God is leading us, we want to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. God wants us to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We have the same goals. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, it's going to be easy, but we are working for the same purposes in the same directions. And of course, we can remind ourselves, just like the psalmists do all throughout the Psalms, We can remind ourselves of the time that the Holy Spirit has come through for us before. Maybe it was through a time of long preparation and it was through a a time where we gave it a ton of work and the Holy Spirit worked through that whole process, but we can all identify those moments where we felt totally empty, totally out of ideas, perhaps even right up to Sunday morning and the Holy Spirit came through. God gave us a word, God gave us something to say, or God took the things that we said and allowed them to transform the lives out in the context congregation out in the community. We need to do our part, but we also need to trust God to do God's part. It is not our job to change lives. It's not our job to save souls. God does that. We simply need to play our role in it. Now, we do need to play that role. We do need to do the work, but it's not all on our shoulders. Some of the anxiety I feel for sermon writing and preparation tends to come when I think I have to do it all myself, but I am a servant of God. I'm working towards the same goals that God has. I need to remember God's faithfulness. So those are the seven tips, tactics, and strategies that I try to use to relieve some of my anxiety when it comes to sermon writing and planning. Number one, when possible, I plan ahead. Number two, I recognize that if I don't have a six-month or year-long program, it doesn't mean that I am a complete and total failure. This might allow for some flexibility and allow me to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. Number three, I try to give sermon writing and planning as much focused time as possible, and I try to honor that time by being faithful and working hard during the 
the blocks of time I do have. Number four, I try to be faithful to my personal devotions, uh, scripture reading, prayer, and journaling. Number five, I capture the ideas that capture me. Number six, I try to stay plugged into and listening to my community. And number seven, I try to remember God's faithfulness. God has worked in and through me before. God will again, and this is a calling. And now I'd love to hear from you. What are your tips, tactics, and strategies for sermon writing and planning? And how do you stay ahead of that anxiety that comes from staring at a blank page? We all love the delivery process, or many, many of us love the delivery of sermons, but we're going to have nothing to, de- to deliver if we don't do the writing and the planning. So you can reach out via social media or artofthesermon.com. I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.